0: Thank you, Pastor Andy. Thank you to our musicians as well. Good songs tonight, always good favorites. If you'll turn with me please to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter six. Tonight I wanna talk about a plea for purity. As we're going through the book of Proverbs, I want us to keep in mind our definition of wisdom that we started out with, and that is wisdom is the ability to live life skillfully from God's point of view. How does God want us to live our lives? So in Proverbs 6 and verse 20, we're going to find some warnings. This is the sixth exhortation, and always keep in mind that the book of Proverbs is a collection of individual Proverbs, but it's also a collection of exhortations, which are extended passages, and this is one of those. This is the sixth that we come to in the book, and so in Proverbs 6 and verse 20, the Bible says, my son, keep thy father's commandment. And forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart. And tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp. And the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief, if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he is found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery... With a woman, lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. For jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us as we go through this sobering passage of Scripture and help us to realize what a solemn warning it is to us in this culture in which we live. We pray, Lord, that we would take instruction from it and that we would Seal it to our hearts, that we would submit to it and obey it. Lord, we pray that you would use it to cleanse our hearts, to cleanse our way. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All of us want the best for our children. We want them, first of all, to know Christ as our Savior. And one of the next things that we would want for them is to have a happy marriage, if the Lord does indeed lead them in that direction. Providing them with a steady diet of God's Word is the way to meet both of these objectives. And as we read and study this passage tonight, I want us to see it in two ways. First of all, it's a personal warning to every single one of us because we never escape temptation until we get to heaven. But then secondly, we have children, we have grandchildren, we have others in our lives, we have friends, we have relatives, and there are times when we need to solemnly warn them when they are going down the wrong path. That's the whole object of these Proverbs. Now, we understand that our culture is not helping us to meet those objectives that I talked about. After separating from her second husband, one actress, a contemporary actress, expressed her doubts about marriage. She said, I think the idea of marriage is romantic. It's a beautiful idea. But I don't think it's natural to be a monogamous person. It's a lot of work. Interestingly, she also stated that living together is a far cry from being married. And by the way, she's right. Living together outside of holy matrimony is wrong, it's sinful. But she does admit that. She says anybody who tells you that it's the same is lying. This is an unsaved woman. She said, it changes things. I have friends who were together for 10 years and then decided to get married. And I'll ask them on their wedding day if it's different. And it always is. And then she concludes with this, marriage is a beautiful responsibility, but it's a responsibility. Time Magazine recently featured an article that asked, is monogamy over? Is it a thing of the past? The article offered various opinions. And here are some of those opinions. Monogamy is a charade that leads to institutionalizing dishonesty. Monogamy is just an option, not the default. And there's no right, there's no wrong. Now, to its credit, Time Magazine also gave a conservative biblical perspective, which I was thankful for. But the main reason I share these things is to demonstrate that the world's view of marital fidelity in general is completely the opposite of the biblical view. These are things that we can no longer take for granted in our society. Our children are being taught the exact opposite by many, many sources in their culture. And not all unsaved people believe this way. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying more and more in general, our children are being told that a person cannot maintain monogamy. And this goes right along with naturalism the fact that you're basically an animal that has evolved. And so on and so forth. And how different it is when we come to the Bible. Where God gives his perfect instruction. Where he gives us the definition of marriage. Where he says it's between one man and one woman. As long as they both shall live. Together in holy matrimony. And when you go against that you're going to have trouble. That is God's perfect plan. So we see here the reasons for these instructions. I want you to notice number one, the author of Proverbs says, guard the commandment, guard the commandment. Now we've seen these introductory words before. And you can write this, these passages down. Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9 are almost identical to this. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 are almost identical. Now, the only time the Bible has to say something is one time. But when God says it twice, when He says it three times, then you know it is especially important. This is something that God wants to emphasize, nothing in His Word is there by accident. Nothing. God the Holy Spirit inspired the very words of Scripture. All of them. Every single word. And He did that for a purpose. If He repeats something, it's for a purpose. And so the idea here is to keep God's Word in the sense of guarding it. We memorize it, we meditate upon it. Let me give you a a challenge here, and that is choose a book of the Bible and read through it several times, as many times as you can in one sitting. Now, you can do this with many of the New Testament epistles, especially. I would recommend that you start there. But see what an impact that will have on you. Read through the book of Ephesians or the book of Philippians nine or ten times. You say, boy, that's a lot. Well, how about two or three even, four or five? It won't take you as long as you think. You see, originally these letters were written or were spoken aloud to the congregation. They didn't all have Bibles like we do today. So originally you would have a reader and he would read the contents of these letters. But as you do that, allow the Word of God to filter into your soul. Brand it upon your soul. Meditate upon it. That means think about it throughout the day. Instead of watching an hour or two of television read God's Word, devote that time to reading Scripture. It will change your life. This book is alive It's the living word of God. It's like no other book. This is God's word. He used men to write it, but it's God's word. And he will change you as you read it. There is no substitute for it. I love to read good commentaries. I love to read good devotional works from Christians who lived throughout history up until our own times. But there is no substitute for scripture you must focus on Scripture in your devotions and get as much of it as you can and encourage your children to get as much of it as they can. Meditate upon it. The Bible says do not forsake it. Do not leave it. That means you put it into practice. And then notice what the passage says. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Now, the image here is of an ornament of of jewelry, and sometimes they would put writings, little scrolls in them. Of course, you're probably familiar also with phylacteries, the little leather boxes that would be placed on the forehead or on the, the hand. And in some cases, they would wear it around their necks. And that's sort of a metaphor for what the author of Proverbs is talking about. Now, there would be nothing wrong with doing such a practice, but what he's really talking about here is put it in your heart. And I'm not talking about the physical heart, but I'm talking about internalizing it. You read it, you study it, you meditate upon it, but you must obey it. You must submit to it. I do hear people say, well, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to, to get my child to read God's Word, or maybe they say that about themselves. That this, the same thing could have been said about me. I was constantly taking in the Word of God as a child, but I never internalized it. I never submitted myself to it until I came to Christ. That was the game changer. I submitted to him and that's what you must do. You must submit to him and surrender to his word. And so you internalize it. You take it into your heart and life and you live it. You say, okay, Lord, this is what you're telling me. Now I need to do it. Now I need to put it into practice. And so you read God's word, you memorize it, you meditate upon it, you obey it. It becomes a part of your everyday life. Charles H. Spurgeon would continually encourage his flock to read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And he loved Bunyan. He said of John Bunyan, if you prick him, he bleeds Bible. It's a good thing to say about someone, isn't it? He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his soul is full of the Word of God. If you read Pilgrim's Progress and his other writings, you'll see that as well. Now, why do we do this? Well, we do this to know God. We do this to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Him. But then there's a particular reason that is spelled out in this passage. In verse 23, here's what it's going to do for us. The commandment is a lamp. And then the parallel statement, the law is light. We're walking in a spiritually dark world. We need a lamp. We need light. The darkness is within because we still have the sin nature, even though we're saved. There is still worldliness within us. And then, reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And here's what they do. Number two, they keep us from the evil woman. Number two, then, is beware of the adulterous woman. I want to say this from the beginning so that I'm clear. And that is that we're not just picking on women here tonight. A man can seduce a woman just as easily. So this is for all of us to be on our guard. The Bible says then in verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman or the evil man from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Perhaps the Bible focuses on the woman here in order to stress the dangers to a young man as a father is instructing him. Just keep in mind the Bible never sweeps the sins of men under the rug. David is a perfect example of that. David and his adultery in the aftermath. This can happen to men or to women. It can happen both ways. But the Bible says in verse 25, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Ray Ortlund says this, how then does wisdom counsel us when we men notice a beautiful woman who is not our wife? And men are especially attracted by what they see. Well, biblical wisdom says, don't go there in your thoughts. That's where the battle begins. You have to understand that the battle is with the mind, first and foremost. That's where Satan is going to attack you. So, don't even go there in your thoughts. Don't lust after her. In other words, don't desire her beauty for yourself in your heart, because that is the beginning of adultery. And that is just as wrong in the sight of God as committing the act of adultery. We men need to be on our guard against this. We need to be careful what we see online, what we see on television, and so forth. So a lot of men may denigrate their society and, and what's going on, but then they don't mind going to work and telling a filthy joke or a filthy story. Or looking at pornography online when no one is watching. And the sight of God, that's just as wrong. You know, it used to be magazines. But now you don't even have to do that anymore. Now it's, it's online. It's online. It's everywhere. And if only evil were always ugly, life would be simpler, right? If only everything were color coded to make it obvious. If only there were warning labels on all the poisons. But you see, in this world, sin and the disaster that goes with it is attractive. And that's what we know about Satan himself. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14 that he disguises or he transforms himself into an angel of light. For you yourself, you're always going to rationalize it or you're going to be tempted to rationalize it. It's easy for you to condemn it in someone else. But for you yourself, you'll try to make it sound okay. You see, that's part of the deception. Satan uses physical appeal. He uses images that are designed to inflame lust. He uses emotional appeals. And by the way, that's what it's talking about in verse 24 when it says the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. So a woman will, will tell you things. You know, Samson and Delilah, a good example of this. Oh, well, well, surely you wouldn't hurt my feelings by rejecting me. That's an emotional appeal. And by the way, young ladies, you need to be careful of evil men. You need to be careful of boys who will come to you and tell you how beautiful you are. Oh, you just can't believe how much I love you. I've only known you for 48 hours. But I am in love with you. You better watch those guys, young ladies. They're evil men. They're evil women. And they will tell you exactly what you want to hear. And by the way, older men... You know, they talk about the midlife crisis. A younger woman will come to you, will tell you how handsome you are and and this and that. You see, this is part of the deception of Satan. This is something that all of us need to be on guard against. And this is what the world does. In 1896, there was a film that came out called The Kiss. Yes, there were films in 1896. Thomas Edison developed it. It outraged moral guardians by showing a couple stealing a quick kiss. It was distributed by Thomas Edison and produced by his studio. It was one of the first films ever shown commercially to the public. It was about 18 seconds long. Can you imagine going to the movies for 18 seconds? You know, the popcorn can't even pop in in 18 seconds. But it depicts a reenactment of the kiss between Mae Irwin and John Rice from the final stage of the stage musical, The Widow Jones. The Edison catalog advertised it this way. They get ready to kiss, begin to kiss, And kiss and kiss and kiss in a way that brings the house down every time. That was the whole 18 seconds of the movie. It was denounced as shocking and obscene to many early moviegoers and caused the Roman Catholic Church to call for censorship and moral reform as kissing in public at the time could lead to prosecution. One contemporary critic wrote this, the spectacle of the prolonged pasturing on each other's lips was beastly enough and life-size on the stage, but magnified, talking about magnified in film, to gargantuan proportions and repeated three times over, it is absolutely disgusting. Such things call for police action. Now, let's fast forward to our own day. By the 1990s, primetime network entertainment offered sexual remarks or behavior every four minutes. Primetime network entertainment. From their monitoring of network programs... Lewis Harris and Associates estimated that the average viewer witnesses 14,000 sexual events annually. This is all going into our minds and the minds of our children. Nearly all of these things involve, on the television as it's portrayed, unmarried people. An analysis of one week of network primetime television found that intimate sexual activity was mentioned by unmarried couples 90 times and by married couples once. Rarely are there any consequences. No one gets communicable diseases. No one gets pregnant. No one has to change diapers, get up in the middle of the night, or heroically struggle to socialize a fatherless child. In fact, more than two-thirds of the time in another analysis of 220 scenes of unmarried sexual activity, the activity is portrayed as desirable and less than 10% of the time as undesirable. This world, this world system is preaching to our children and this is what it's saying. This is why we have to guard the commandment. This is why we have to warn our children. When we say to keep God's word in our hearts and to not forsake it, that's the positive aspect of this. The negative is not to take in all of the trash of this world. That leads us to number three, consider the consequences. What verse 26 is saying is basically this. It's saying that a woman of loose morals will bring you to poverty, but it's even more than that. She'll endanger your life. And then two proverbs are given. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Of course not. Can one go upon hot coals And his feet not be burned? And again, the answer is no. Can you take these things into your mind? Can you follow or trace the process of temptation and not get burned in the end? Think of the consequences. Think of the consequences next time you're tempted to go on that pornographic site. When you think that no one is around, that no one can see you, that you're going to get away with it, you'll have a few moments of pleasure, no harm, but there is harm. There are always consequences. Go back to this verse. This is God's message to us. And this is God's message to our children and our grandchildren as well. Verse 29 concludes, from these two Proverbs, So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Or in other words, he shall not go free. And if you're a child of God, God is going to deal with you. But there are always consequences to this. You can see the consequences in our society today with broken homes as people are so loose in their morality. Here's another point in verse 30. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. You can sympathize with a man, he's hungry. Still though, he needs to pay for his crime and that's verse 31. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. The point is, is that you can sympathize with him. He's hungry. But how much more severe the punishment for an adulterer or an adulteress who evokes very little sympathy? The legal penalty for adultery in the Old Testament was death. That's how seriously God viewed this. In Deuteronomy 22 and verse 22, the Bible says, "...if a man be found lying with a woman..." Married to a husband, then they shall both of them die. Who knows? Maybe this is the verse that the Lord Jesus wrote in the sand. You remember what the woman taken in adultery? I mean, everybody, sometimes, well, not everybody, but, you know, once in a while, preachers will say, oh, I know what he wrote in the sand, and they'll tell you this or that, and I mean, I don't know either, but... You have to question, you remember when the religious leaders took this woman and threw her at Jesus' feet. She was caught in the act. You always have to ask the question, where was the man? And why is it that the woman gets a lot of the blame in society? You know, in a lot of laws, historically and around the world, a lot of times the man gets off scot-free, It's always the woman who's executed it's not how it was in the Bible you see both of them were guilty and in that incident with Jesus you have to say hey where was the man I mean after all if she's caught in the act of adultery there have to be two of them so where was the man Sometimes we men have to be careful. We can be like our father Adam. Hey, it's, God, it's the woman you gave me. It's her fault for everything. But Jesus doesn't see it like that, and God doesn't either. He says they're both liable for death. It says both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So shalt thou put away evil from Israel. Pete Steveson said this, there is little evidence that this punishment was actually carried out, at least later on in Jewish history. It seems rather that the guilty party or parties would receive a public scourging along with a loss of rep- reputation. So they would be beaten with a cat of nine tails in public, or they would be caned. You ever seen a rattan cane? And they they still do this in some countries for adultery and for other crimes. And they will actually whip people in public. It's a horrifying punishment. And they even have men who are specially trained in this. And they will cane the offender. And it seems like this is what happened in, in biblical society as well. But there are all kinds of consequences that happen because of adultery. Years ago, I knew a man. He said uh, he and his wife, um, you know, they, they had married. Then he got saved. His wife had no interest in the Lord. And his wife began to commit adultery with other men. And he said, it was behind my back. He said, I didn't want to admit it. And he said, I went hunting. I was going to plan to go hunting with a buddy one day. And he says, I want to I want to show you something. And, and they went back to his house. And they discovered that his wife was with another man. He said, at that point, I couldn't deny it any longer. But he said, as I saw my best friend's car in the driveway. Can you imagine that? It was his best friend with his wife. He said, I was going to take my shotgun, and I was going to kill both of them, and then I was going to shoot myself. He said, I had that in my mind. He said, I was going to do it. I was determined to do it. He said, but then the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart, He said, I didn't carry through with it. But you know, there's a lot of times when people do go through with something like that. And the Bible says here in this passage, and really that's what it's talking about, jealousy is the rage of a man. There are all kinds of consequences. It rips society apart. And yet now there are websites that you can go go to and they have set it up to where you can be anonymous. Where you can supposedly sin with impunity and do it in secret so that no one knows about it. It is destroying our society. But how many times do we talk about adultery? We don't talk about it very much. We don't talk about sexual sin, but it is a scourge in our society. It has destroyed so many homes. It goes hand in hand with other things as well. But God help us to be faithful to our spouse. That's the positive side of this. And God help us to be faithful to his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us these warnings. And Father, we truly want to please you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand this, the damage that sin does, Lord, to us and to our children. And I pray that we would take it seriously. And Lord, positively, we pray that we would love our spouse, that we would spend the time that we need to with our spouse, that we would grow in love more and more each day with our spouse and that we would grow to love you as well because you are the key in the end. And So I pray, Lord, that you would protect our marriages and our homes as we follow your perfect word. In Jesus' name.